0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
3: And I'm Abe Shapiro. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, July 6th, 2022.
2: Later in the program, Pam Rader of the Brown County Hour interviews author Rachel Perry about her new book, Painter of the Dunes. More in the bottom half of tonight's program.
3: Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Cutting the Cost of Gas Part 5 on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment here on WFHB. But first, your local headlines.
2: June 29th, at the Monroe County Board of Zoning Appeals meeting, Vice Chair Skip Daly asked the board to draft a letter to the Board of Commissioners requesting an expedited appointment to the Board of Zoning Appeals. The motion passed unanimously. County Attorney Dave Schilling presented a resolution for review that the board had previously approved on September 1st, 2021.
4: This is not a hearing to accept new evidence because the issue is whether the BZA made an error of law based on the record on September, 20, September 1st of, of uh, 2021. Uh, so the, the, the purpose of the hearing is to accept the legal argument on whether or not the BZA made a mistake in, in uh, granting a conditional use approval to Bedford Recycling for a central garbage uh, rubbish collection facility.
2: Schilling explained that the board needed to decide whether or not to continue to grant the Bedford Recycling Center their conditional use request. Attorney Dustin Plummer spoke representing the Bedford Recycling Center.
0: The question presented in the packet indicates that potentially there was an error of all based on two reasons. One, that the proposed use did not meet the definition of a central garbage rubbish collection facility and then two potentially some question over the use of the term scrap yard and whether or not that is a permitted use within the context of the zoning ordinance. The board's initial decision was correct and should be upheld is the short answer to the question. The confusion in this comes from the question of whether or not we're dealing with solid waste. And when you see central garbage, rubbish collection facility, I think the mind initially goes to waste. However, further within the ordinance and actually within the definition, both recycled matter is referenced within the definition of what is a central garbage or rubbish collection facility. And furthermore, in the specific case of Section 33, which was cited and and incorporated as part of the decision, the ordinance is clear that this also includes a recycling facility. The testimony that was given at the initial hearing indicated that materials, recyclable materials were going to be brought in to the facility. They would be sorted, processed, and then transported to another facility in part of the recycling chain. This matches squarely within the definition and the use that was granted and should be upheld.
2: Board member Guy Loftman asked Plummer if the Bedford Recycling Center meets the policy definition of a solid waste collection facility.
1: This is the... the Central garbage, rubbish collection facility, or private establishments contracted to remove solid waste from residential or commercial uses, we agree that's not what this is. That's not something that you all do, that your client does, right?
2: Loftman said that he understands the argument that the recycling center is technically still contracting with residents to pick up their recycling materials however the intent of a recycling center says that they are supposed to pick up solid waste
1: well you can perhaps understand when i look at this it looks like it's you know abe's trash hauling that that brings things to a a uh, uh a a local uh, uh facility and in it's your client does not contract remove solid waste from residential or commercial end users, but from uh, people who haul it from that. Okay, I think I get the logic here sure. of your argument and it's... it's uh, Helpful to me because I'm looking at this definition.
2: The vote to vacate the September 1st conditional use decision failed two to one, with Daly saying there wasn't enough evidence that the original decision was unlawful. Since the vote failed to pass, the board will hear it again at their next meeting. The next Board of Zoning Appeals meeting will be held on August 3rd.
3: The Bloomington Board of Park Commissioners met on June 28th. Sports Facility and Program Manager Dee Tuttle asked the board to approve a contract with Carpets Plus Color Tile for a flooring project at the Frank Southern Ice Arena facility.
5: Today I'm seeking uh, an agreement with the Carpets Plus Color Tile for the replacement of carpet at the Frank Southern Ice Arena in the entryway and the lobby area. The contract will include the removal of the old carpet, old adhesives an installation of new, it's called walk-off carpet in the entry area, um, and then we will be putting Mondo Sport Impact um, in the lobby area in front of the uh, admissions counter, and that flooring is identical to the flooring that we currently have um, where the benches are located. And this uh, replacement carpet will be paid for uh, with the general obligation bond.
3: Cuttle said that the original carpet was installed in 2009 and has been worn down by thousands of ice skaters every year. The board unanimously approved the carpet installation. Urban forester Aaron Hatch asked the board to approve the reappointment of George Hedgeman to the Tree Commission. Hatch explained that he was previously appointed to the commission and is a valuable member thanks to all of his experience. This is a three-year appointment. George has served on the tree commission previously, albeit not in the position appointed by the park board. And so we're simply seeking to potentially reappoint him and have this long-term member and all of his institutional knowledge back on the board. Board member Jim Whitlatch commented that there were a lot of qualified candidates for the tree commission. The board approved Hedgeman's reappointment unanimously. Board President Kathleen Mills shared that it is how she's last week at Bloomington's Urban Forester. Mills thanked her for her work and wished her good luck at her new position in Colorado. Well, we're, I mean, it sounds like a very exciting opportunity, especially all the outdoor things that you can do in Denver. We're going to be, you know, terribly sorry to see you go. And I feel like you've been, you've like patiently led us through various tree. Appeals and you've answered all of my questions that I've had about, you know, tree removals and tree pruning. And I don't know very much about trees. So you've been (laughs) very patient and thorough to answer all that. So we wish you a lot of luck. The next Bloomington Board of Park Commissioners meeting has been scheduled for July 19th.
2: A gunman killed seven people and wounded dozens more during a 4th of July parade in Highland Park, Illinois. On Monday, a 21-year-old man was taken into custody. The following day, he was charged with seven counts of first-degree murder. According to Deputy Chief Christopher Covelli of the Lake County Sheriff's Office, the high-powered rifle used in the shooting was purchased legally.
6: But we do believe Cremo pre-planned this attack for several weeks. Uh, He brought a high-powered rifle to this parade. He accessed the roof of a business via a fire escape ladder and began opening fire on the innocent Independence Day celebration goers. The rifle was purchased in Illinois, and the information we have thus far is that it appears to have been purchased legally by Cremo. Uh, During the attack, Cremo was dressed in woman's clothing, and investigators do believe he did this to conceal his facial tattoos and his identity and help him during the escape uh, with the other people who were fleeing the chaos during the attack. We believe that Cremo fired more than 70 rounds from this rifle into the crowd of innocent people. Following the attack, Cremo exited the roof. He dropped his rifle and he blended in with the crowd and he escaped
2: Lynn Street, Washington Bureau chief for the Chicago Sun-Times attended the 4th of July parade in Highland Park. She described
1: what she saw. I didn't hear there's shots going, but I certainly saw people running, literally for their lives, because some of them actually saw what had happened. People shot, wounded. So, while people were running, I did walk towards uh, where they were running from. I observed bodies that were terribly slaughtered by gunshot. And what leaves a deep impression is the moment frozen in time. People. Again, literally for their lives, their chairs, you know, those summer chairs that everyone brings to parade, water bottles, backpacks, uh, bits of food, hats just left there, especially all the baby carriages just left there as people fled.
2: Dr. David Baum, a doctor at the scene of the Highland Park shooting, says the victims had, quote, wartime injuries, end quote
0: families' lives forever changed because they were walking down with their kids and their scooters and somebody who shouldn't have had access to a high-powered rifle got up on a rooftop and decided to do what he wanted to do. And, you know, to me, you can't drink till you're 21, but I still do not know why this country allows an 18-year-old, to have a weapon that is meant for war. And the injuries, John, that I saw, I've never served, but those are wartime injuries. Those are those are what are seen in victims of war, not victims at a parade.
2: Lake County Coroner Jennifer Bannock read aloud the names of six of the seven victims of the shooting at a news conference on Tuesday afternoon.
1: It is with a heavy heart that I bring to you the names of the victims of that tragedy. 64-year-old Katherine Goldstein of Highland Park, 35-year-old Irina McCarthy of Highland Park, 37-year-old Kevin McCarthy of Highland Park, 63-year-old Jacqueline Sundheim of Highland Park, 88-year-old Stephen Strauss of Highland Park, 78-year-old Nicholas Toledo Zaragoza of Morelos, Mexico. We have also been notified that there is a seventh victim that died at a hospital located outside of Lake
0: County.
2: According to the New York Times, the attack was one of a number of shootings in recent days. Authorities, at least a dozen other cities, reported shootings over the weekend.
3: In today's feature report, we have an excerpt from the Brown County Hour, an arts and culture program from the hills of Brown County on WFHB. In this segment, Pam Rader interviews author Rachel Perry about her new book, Painter of the Dunes. Stay tuned at 6pm to hear the full program here on WFHB.
5: Good evening. I'm here with Rachel Perry, my good friend and wonderful author. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Uh, We're discussing her latest book called Painter of the Dunes, um, A Life of Frank Virgil Dudley. I love this book. It was easy reading, all the old photographs, vivid descriptions. You really captured the temper of the times. And it's all about the dunes, obviously. What got you into um, this painter?
7: Well, when I was a fine arts curator at the Indiana State Museum, we had quite an extensive collection of Dudleys, as maybe mentioned in the book. Because Frank Dudley had land that was taken over by the state park, He was allowed to give one painting each year for his rent in exchange for being able to keep his cottage and his studio. So the state got quite a few paintings from Dudley for that. And then also later, his widow sold a bunch more Dudleys to the state. But it was interesting because after, I think, maybe 14 years, Dudley's paintings became worth more than would have been the rent for a year. So he just stopped exchanging paintings and started painting the cash.
5: And in the beginning of his life, he didn't think he could make a living as a painter.
7: No, he actually was very discouraged um, and didn't really hit, you know, hit his mark until he was in his 50s. That's when he started concentrating only on painting the Indiana Dunes.
5: Mm-hmm. It's kind of an exciting story because it's all about the dunes, which I didn't know that much about, and for over a century, they wanted to make it a national park, and that just happened in, what,
7: 2019? Right. It is our state's first national park. Mm -hmm. There, Of course, there there were huge fights all along the way for over 100 years of people trying to save the dunes, and they have managed to save a considerable amount, but... Anyone who's from Brown County or used to hiking in southern Indiana, it's a shock when you go up there because Uh you can see the the cooling towers and everything right from the beach. And the first time I went there, I was thinking, really? I mean, people are all excited about this. But you kind of have to look at it as glass half full instead of Mm. glass half empty. It's really amazing the things that they have managed to save.
5: Yeah, it was uh, all of Gary, U.S. Steel, you said in the book, and and in Indiana had a deep water port built, yeah. and yeah. it was just really a, a fascinating story. And he was uh, speaking of Brown County, boyhood friends with Adolf Schultz. exactly, and, yeah.
7: which I found
5: that was an interesting connection.
7: So put him in. To, so to put him in context, he was about the same generation as the Brown County Art Colony. He was born in 1868 and lived until 1957. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he was just about the same age as a lot of the people who came down from Chicago and started the Brown County Art Colony. And he was originally
5: from Wisconsin, but another tie-in with Indiana was both his parents were deaf.
7: Yes. And they,
5: and the mother went to the deaf school, Indiana Deaf School.
7: Right. They still do have a big deaf school in in Delavan, which is where his mother and father met. Well, uh, you must have made
5: several trips up there because all the photos, those old
7: original photos were really amazing. A lot of those photos are from the archives, the family archives of Frank Dudley. And there was a gentleman named James Dabbert who mm-hmm. wrote the real Dudley books. This is Dudley Light, is what I call it. Um, it's uh, part of a youth biography series for the Indiana Historical Society. So it's it's really uh, a kind of a condensed version. And uh, Mr. Dabbert was very uh, generous with photos from the archives. And then also I went to Delavan Historical Society and had a big confab with the lady there who was there by herself in that place. And I don't think she'd talked to anybody for 15 years or something. But anyway, she had lots to say. <laughs> and um, Delavan was an interesting place because it was uh, a place where a lot of circuses wintered. It was kind of like Peru, Indiana, There were elephants that escaped and ran amok down the the town streets and things like that. There were a lot of Mm -hmm. interesting stories um, about that town. Um, And it became kind of a touristy place because there was a big lake right next to Delavan, Delavan Lake. Your
5: book is available in local bookstores?
7: It's available at the Brown County Art Gallery I think it's available at Morgan Stern. Well, this is like your
5: sixth book in a series of artists, right? Yeah. Are you ready to start your next project? Are you thinking about another book?
7: Well, um, I've been negotiating a couple things, and so far nothing's come through, so we'll see.
5: Okay. Yeah. Well, wonderful to talk to you, and like I said, I really enjoyed the book. It's an easy read.
7: Well, thank you for having me, Pam. You're welcome.
2: Up next... Cutting the Cost of Gas, Part 5, on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more.
5: Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket.
8: You want to pay less for gas? Here's the fifth part of our series on how to save a dollar a gallon or even more by boosting your gas mileage. It really helps to know what your gas mileage is all the time and to keep your gas tank full, your car in good shape, and plenty of space between you and other cars on the road. Now, try this. Keep on gaming while you drive. Not on some video display. This is a driving game. Keep your mind on your car. You constantly watch for and grab every chance to boost mileage and avoid every need to cut it. Here are some of the best tactics. Drive light on the pedals. The harder you press on either the accelerator or the brake, the more gas you have to buy. After you stop, don't jackrabbit off the line, but don't dawdle either. All cars get lousy mileage below 30 miles an hour. So when you get up to 30, start pushing on the gas pedal as if there was an egg under your foot. That advice comes from world-famous racing driver Jackie Stewart. Going uphill, keep your speed, but don't accelerate unless you must. Speeding up's cheaper on level ground and cheapest of all when going downhill. You probably know that an air conditioner cuts your mileage by 5 or 10 percent, but an open window can cut your gas mileage by even more, especially out on the highway. And when you do use your AC, hit the recirculate button. You save energy and gas by not cooling off that hot air outside the car. When it's safe to use cruise control, it helps a lot because it will shift gears at the most efficient time. With any car, the most economical speed is the lowest speed you can maintain in the highest possible gear. Modern cars have lots of gears, so keep your speed at whatever it is just after you shift into the highest gear you can reach. Drive smoothly. People who make their living by driving always try to drive as smoothly as they can. And drive safely. Anytime you're in a risky situation, it's going to cost you money. Speeding is expensive, even if you don't get a ticket. Having to slam on your brakes is expensive, even if you don't hit anything. Idling when you're not moving trashes your gas mileage. When you're stopped and the engine's running, your mileage is going down every second. On average, starting your engine uses about as much gas as letting it idle for one minute. So turn off the engine when you're at a long stoplight or in a drive through line or stuck in a traffic jam. But idling when you're moving will boost your mileage. Maximizing your momentum can save as much gas as all the rest of these hints put together. And we'll cover that next time. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs.
2: You've been listening to the WFHB local news. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Chuck Wills.
4: Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and The Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive
2: producer, Cade Young. And I'm Benedict Jones. climate action from the bottom up coming up next on WFHB community radio
4: you've been listening to the WFHB local news on WFHB community radio